0: Blessings to you. I'm Mike Miano, pastor at the Blue Point Bible Church, and each week we do our very best to make our worship service available to you online through live stream. However, due to meeting outside and or technical difficulties, sometimes we are not able to make that worship service available to you. So what I've decided to do is each week I'm going to offer up this sort of sermon review, and it will be my opportunity of sharing with you Uh, as we often refer to you when we pray for those that listen online, our online community. This is my uh, offering to the online community to be a part of what we're doing here at the Blue Point Bible Church, namely what we love to take pride in, a thinking faith, thinking through the Scriptures, or seek, search, study, and proving the things that we read in the Scriptures. So uh, with that, we've moved into a sermon series entitled Fullness of the Time, where we're looking at the New Testament. We started out reading through the New Testament with the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, a disciple of Jesus Christ, wrote his account of Jesus to help the law-minded Jews in Jerusalem to better understand the fullness of time, namely how Jesus Christ fulfilled Bible prophecy regarding the Messiah. Today, we will outline the reading and studying through the New Testament, writing the Gospel of Mark. So the first thing we must ask ourselves is, who is Mark, a.k.a. John Mark. And the first thing I will tell you is that he is a disciple of a disciple. Let's look at some Bible texts that speak about him a bit. First one would be Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Wherein we read, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So here we learn that Mark's name is also called John Mark. In Acts chapter 13, verse 5, we read, When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. So this John Mark became a helper of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in their proclaiming the word of God uh, outside Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we read, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Pathos and came to Pergia in Pamphylia, but John left them to return to Jerusalem. So here we see that there's a period where John Mark leaves Paul and goes back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 15, verse 37 through 39, Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along with them who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work and there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus so here we see this John Mark also known as Mark being a companion and a helper with Paul and Barnabas had went out to regions outside of Jerusalem Returned back to Jerusalem. It does not look as though that was a very favorable decision uh, by Paul. And then later on in missionary work, Barnabas decides he wants to take Mark with them. Paul doesn't. And this causes a sharp disagreement to the point where they both go doing their work separately, which also should challenge us, if I may say this here, it should challenge us as the church to know how to disagree well we see they both went about their gospel mission they both became apostles of the christian faith but they were able to do it by disagreeing well and going on their very way Uh, again uh, another text i want to bring our attention to is first peter chapter 5 verse 13. here it says she who is in babylon chosen together with you sends you greetings and so does my son mark so now uh, one thing we need to know is that when Peter writes his writing, he's writing to the scattered saints, so uh, throughout the different regions. And he's talk where, here he's saying she who is in Babylon speaking about the church that is in Jerusalem. Babylon became a term known for first century Jerusalem as they attributed traits that were very much similar to the wicked Babylon of the ancient times. Uh, again, that's a, a message for another time. However, uh, here we also read that Peter is saying that Mark, who's there in Jerusalem, Mark is his spiritual son, just like Paul would refer to Timothy as his spiritual son. The last text I want to bring up uh, that will sort of clue us in on who this Mark character is is Colossians chapter 4 verse 10. And again, I want to add respect to Mark's name and, and refer to him as apostle uh, here, one of those that led forth the Christian faith. Um, Colossians chapter 4 verse 10. Here, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. So it was possible that Mark, this disciple of a disciple, if you will, this spiritual son of Peter, who happened to also be the cousin of Barnabas, which would also help us understand why Barnabas was probably a bit more forgiving and wanting to bring Mark with him when he was going on the, into the different regions, Mark might be visiting Colossae, and they are to welcome him, which again also shows the Apostle Paul's maturity uh, despite their disagreement that they had had. So the next question we must ask, now that we know who Mark is, is why and how did Mark write this gospel account that is attributed to his name. The writing of Mark's gospel account is placed between the years 44 and 49. A teacher with a wealth of knowledge on the organic development of the New Testament is Ed Stevens, and he places the date at 44. In his book, The Final Decade Before the End, Ed Stevens writes, quote, tradition posits a very close relationship between Mark and Peter, which would explain some details found in Mark that are not in Matthew, which one of the 12 apostles, which only one of the 12 apostles could have related to Mark from their eyewitness perspective. End quote. It has been highlighted that Mark most likely used Matthew's account as a guide, namely because he was related to and traveled with Barnabas, who, if you remember, possessed a treasured copy of Matthew's gospel. The Cultural Background Study Bible notes Mar- Mark is almost exactly half the length of. Matthew and Luke, suggesting standardized scroll lengths. Given the cost of ancient scrolls, Mark would have been the most affordable of gospels and must have circulated widely in the first century. Again, something great to hear. Amen. We're becoming familiar with a text that was widely circulated throughout the first century, and also a text that's shorter than reading through the Gospel of Matthew, which I'm imagining uh, many of you that are going to continue reading through the New Testament with us are going to follow the reading list will appreciate. So Mark included extra info that Matthew did not. Mark writes a bit shorter and thus makes it more affordable. However, the biggest difference in Mark's gospel from Matthew's gospel is that Mark shares details in a manner to uh, to appeal not to law-minded Jews in Jerusalem, but rather to Hellenistic Jews and Gentiles in other regions and in Jerusalem. Well, Hellenistic Jews there in Jerusalem, but also the Gentiles that were found in other regions as he went with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on missionary journeys. Hellenistic Jews, to focus in on them, were those who claimed to be the flesh and blood descendants of Israel. However, they gave more mindfulness and credit to the Greek philosophy of the day. They may have, a Hellenistic Jew would have been more interested to learn of a Messiah who comes with authority and power rather than obsessing with, Old Testament prophecies as the Gospel of Matthew did. Now, that does not mean that a Hellenistic Jew would not have seen the importance of uh, Old Testament prophecies. Just they would have wanted to hear a different story than what maybe the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jerusalem would always go on about. Something we have come to appreciate here at the Blue Point Bible Church is the principle of audience relevance. You may have heard Elder Steve Hernandez say, God speaks to people in ways that they understand. That's exactly why Mark goes about writing this account. Sadly, this beautiful principle of audience relevance is often neglected by Bible readers, students, and even teachers. Mark's drawing up of an account of Jesus in this manner that he does reflects the principle of audience relevance, similar to how the Apostle Paul used the idols on Mars Hill as props to relay the gospel. The Apostle Peter exhorts believers to always have an answer. We read that in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, which includes having a response that would be understood by those who are asking. It's been said that Mark's adaption of Matthew's Jewish-oriented gospel to a Hellenistic audience may explain why Mark was so interested in going to Antioch with Barnabas to help teach the Hellenistic Gentiles there in Antioch and nearby Cyprus. Also, quote, since Mark was related to Barnabas and since Barnabas was a native of Cyprus, the possibility exists that Mark shared a diaspora Jewish or Hellenistic cultured linguistic background. That would explain the Hellenistic orientation of his gospel, end quote. As I had studied through Ed Stephen's book the final decade before the end and then went about preparing to teach through the Gospel of Matthew, that I did about a month ago here at the church, I pondered what were the different details that Matthew and, and Mark have. There were quite a few. We will be reading through the Gospel of Mark for the next couple of weeks, so I imagine many of us might notice them. However, to preface our reading and bring your attention to it, allow me to share some details. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we read about the kingdom of God. Jesus goes about preaching a message of the kingdom of God. Sure enough, when you contrast that with what we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we read about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, many of you know that when I was led to Christ, I was led to Christ through the understanding that these were talking about two different things, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Thank God I've been led away from that understanding. And now through audience relevance, I understand why Matthew would not have used that phrase. Because the Jewish-minded, the, the, the you know, the, the Old Testament uh religious-minded Jews would not have been comfortable with saying the name of God, saying the word God, whereas the Hellenistic Jews kind of were were a bit more easy with that tradition. Another interesting notation would be in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. uh, We read about where the centurion says, Surely this was the Son of God after the crucifixion. The Roman audience of Mark would have been aware that this title, Son of God, was the title of Augustus Caesar because his father Julius Caesar had been deified by the Roman Senate so that they would have known the centurion at this very point when he bows down and again interesting beginning and end to mark's gospel might i say mark begins with the phrase son of god in mark chapter 1 and here in the closing chapters closing portion if you will of the gospel of mark mark goes on to say the son of god again which shows a renouncing a a move against declaring Caesar Augustus as the Son of God, but rather to declare who the true Son of God was, Jesus Christ. Again, a phrase that came with a power and authority. Even more interesting is some research I found wherein we see Homer's Odyssey, something many of us might remember reading in grade school, being used by Mark as an outline for the writing of his gospel. And there's a video, matter of fact, uh, that I had shared here at the church that I want to encourage those of you that are listening to this review here. uh, If you go to YouTube and you put in Understanding Homer's Odyssey in the search bar, there'll be a video, it's probably about four or five minutes, where it leads you in on Understanding uh, Homer's Odyssey. It was a TED Talk. I'll actually be writing up a blog on my blog site, Miano Gone Wild, WordPress.com in weeks to come, where I'll be sharing all the resources that I've been finding as I've been studying through the Gospel of Mark. So perfectly that'll be very beneficial to you. A very first a first century contemporary spoke of Homer's popularity as follows Quote From the earliest age, children beginning their studies are nursed on Homer's teaching. One might say that while we were still in swathing bands, we sucked from his epics as from fresh milk. He assists the beginner and later the adult in his prime. In no stage of life, from boyhood to old age, do we ever cease to drink from him. So again, hopefully that quote right there uh, shows you how important Homer's writings were in the first century uh, in this Greek culture. Mark being a disciple that had grown up in that Greek culture. In ancient Greece, the method of mimesis is reproduction of a supposed model in art. Regarding this technique, allow me to share a few quotes. It is expedient to imitate whatever has been invented with success. Imitation is the mother of creation. A writer's desire to write can only have come from previous experience of literature, and he'll start by imitating whatever's whatever he has read. Ancient students learned the skill of writing through this technique of mimesis, The point here is that Mark is not only educated by way of Homer's writings, but he knows that those around him are as well, the Hellenistic Jews and Gentiles, and he utilizes Homer's writings as an outline for his presentation. This is akin to using examples or or analogies to tell a story so those who are listening might be able to relate. This is also what Jesus did with the parables of his day. God speaks to people in ways they understand. Two things that stand out to me regarding Mark's using the Odyssey as an outline are, however, there are plenty more uh, that we might notice again as we continue reading through the Gospel of Mark. At, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the first thing would be this this concept called the Messianic Secret, uh, where he conceals his messiahship and we see this in mark chapter 1 verses 43 through 44 as well as in mark chapter 8 verses 27 through 30 and a couple other places in the gospel of mark i found it interesting that john walton biblical scholar john walton had said that this messianic secret was emphasized is being emphasized by modern scholars yet it was already noted in the church fathers but unfortunately for quite some time it's been ignored in christian preaching. What we see here is that Jesus like Homer's Odysseus in the Odyssey, Jesus is the perpetual guest who conceals who he is because the lesson is is you should be careful of who you who you're treating in such a way. You should be mindful. Rather than treating a rich person with prestige and a poor person with disrespect, what would happen when you treat the rich person with disrespect? Or the poor person, with prestige. That's why Jesus had said, how you treat me, how you treat the least of these is how you treat me. Jesus focuses on the sick, the poor, the morally and socially marginalized, and others, rather than cultivating the favor of the powerful. This would have been a powerful message to a Hellenistic Jew. They needed to hear that message as a disenfranchised people. They were frowned upon by their their Jewish brethren that were more law-minded, religiously minded. And then, of course, they were frowned upon by the Gentiles because they were still Jews. Another interesting thing that you see that stands out in the Gospel of Mark is this hero's journey. Now, this is a concept that was uh, popularized by Joseph Campbell. And I'm just going to share a quote from him. He says, "...the hero's journey..." Uh, is when a hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from his mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. Now again, we see a similarity but obviously a difference. We know Jesus Christ came from a supernatural, supernatural realm, came into the earth and here dealt with battles that he ultimately overcame so that they would create a spiritual overcoming uh, for the church. We see the victories, amen? So a couple other details that I might mark out would be the mention of the word gospel. As I mentioned before, the phrase son of God, son of God is a political phrase. We see it right there in Mark chapter 1. He opens up with, this is the gospel of the son of God. Again, very political phrase, and you'll be seeing that as we go through the Gospel of Mark. But we see this word gospel mentioned quite a few times in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 13, Mark chapter 14, Mark chapter 16. What this word is, is it's the Greek word evangelion. And what this word would highlight is the coming in of a king. It's a, a term of propaganda. It's, it's, you know, again, it could be good propaganda, bad propaganda, but it was a term of propaganda. And we see Mark using this right at the beginning of his writing to stir the attention of the people. This is a message of power. This is a message of political authority. This is a message of one who reigns greater than Caesar Augustus. We also see baptism mentioned, and in weeks to come, I'm going to be continuing to mention different details about baptism, namely because many of you might be familiar with the fact that I'm doing a two-part debate uh, this upcoming October 29th through the 31st, and then November 12th through the 14th with preacher Steve Bazden from the Ludington Church of Christ in Ludington, Michigan, and uh, we'll be live streaming that and making that available for you. But what I wanted to point out here, right at the beginning of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses four through five, John the Baptist here, uh, well, Mark writing about John the Baptist says, and all the country of Judea was going out to him, John the Baptist, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. Notice they were being baptized in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. After he was preaching and saying, after me, or, and he was preaching, sorry about that, and saying, after me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, what water? The water of the Jordan, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which again we'll see is synonymous with the term water. So uh, Jesus Christ, the water that Christ uses, is the water of the Spirit, whereas John used the water of the Jordan. So uh, I believe that's pretty clear. Uh, you continue through the chapter there. Uh, matter of fact, verses eight through nine, um, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Uh, and then you read a couple other places about baptism, Mar- uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. Matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and read them to you. Mark chapter 10, 38. But Jesus said to them, you, are not, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. They said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized. But to sit on my right or my left is not mine to give, but it is for those who, had, who it has been prepared. Uh, what we see here is this term baptism is not talking about water baptism, but rather the fact that they're about to be immersed in persecution and will die for their faith, just like Christ would. Uh, Another text, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 30, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men, Jesus Christ challenging the Pharisees. We'll see that as we continue uh, through our study of the gospel of Mark in the weeks to come. And then lastly, Mark chapter 16, verse 16, where we have the sending off of the disciples. And here it says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And I will say this as a sort of preface of my study. I believe two things need to happen. The first thing is we need to make a distinction between baptism and water baptism, as I just showed you in the text. There's water baptism being mentioned, absolutely, but then there's other forms and uses of the term baptizo in the New Testament that are not talking about immersion into water. The second thing I will say is I do believe baptism is necessary for salvation. The question is being baptized into what? And uh, you'll see more about that and learn more about my position as I move closer to uh, my debate with Steve Basden. The last thing I want to bring up uh, in regards to the details in Mark is uh, in Mark chapter 14, I'm going to read you two verses, verses 51 through 52. A young man was following him. This is after Jesus Christ was arrested and brought before before the Sanhedrin. And a a young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and seized him. And they seized him, but he pulled free from the linen sheet and escaped naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. So who is this young man? One writer had said this is the most enigmatic character in Mark's gospel. Mark's literary intention, as being proposed here, is to show Jesus' supremacy over everybody else, over uh, Homer's Odysseus, over the false gods of the Greeks, by using the model of Elpenor, which again, we need to familiarize ourselves with the gospel of uh, the, the Odyssey and see how that correlates with the gospel of Mark. Mark, in his writing, depends on a model, not on the historical report of witnesses or symbolic interpretations or Old Testament prophecies as Matthew did. Rather, he is showing Jesus as supreme, using the Homeric model. And again, the point being here with Mark 14, uh, 51 through 52, that what we're seeing is an anti-heroic figure, this, this person who's afraid and flees. Uh, we see the same person, Elpinor, in Homer's Odyssey. Mark wrote his gospel to appeal to the mind of his audience, the Hellenistic Jews and the Gentiles at a time when many were pondering the value of faith and philosophy, survival and favor, It would seem he is writing to help his audience understand the supremacy of Christ and the goal of the kingdom of God while using relevant cultural examples. A question might stand. Does this devalue Mark and make his account untrustworthy? Does it mean that Jesus didn't exist because Mark is using an outline of Homer's stories? By no means. To the contrary, it affirms the historicity and the way God makes his truth known speaking to people in ways they understand. I hope you are as excited as I am to enter into the text a bit more. I have provided a reading outline for the next four weeks. I'll be sharing that on our social media as well. I also encourage you to do some study. Find ways that the gospel speaks to you through teachers and resources that you can best relate to. I will be sharing a list of resources in this week's update. Also, of course, maybe take some time to familiarize yourself with Homer's Odyssey. You can obtain and read the book Uh, you there are a variety of films that you can find on social media on youtube there's both historic and modern renditions that you can watch and observe let's pray mighty god we thank you lord for the illumination your spirit provides that you would even give us a, a little bit of an understanding of you lord we pray that you continue to bless us that we might be able to declare we have a lot of bit of understanding of you lord Uh, as you continue to give us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We thank you, Lord, for what you have provided. We thank you that you are a God of increase and that you continue to provide knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to your people. Lord, go before us. Lead us, Lord, as we discern your truth through the gospel of Mark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.